I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's cracking, everybody? Happy Wednesday. Not much has gone on since Monday, to be quite honest. We had the contracts on in the Jason Tatum, which made our Monday episode a little bit out of date, but not out of date enough for us to feel too bad about it. I'm joined by Mr. Brendan Nunes, making it free for free in the last week. How you doing, bro? Would you look at that? Would you look at that? I'm doing good, man. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm living life, dude. I'm living life. I'm uh, I'm over the Gordon Hayward news. I'm kind of excited to start see the start of next season. But today's episode is going to be looking at the rest of the East and how they're shaping up compared to the Celtics. Obviously, we're still going to throw our predictions in where we're expecting teams to be stronger, to be weaker. Biggest winners, biggest losers of the Eastern Conference during free agency. Now, Brendan, what team do you want to start with, dude? Man, let's start with the top of the East. Let's start with Milwaukee. And, you know, the key trade, um, obviously, going to be the Drew Bledsoe trade. First of all, what do you think of the pairing of Drew Bledsoe and or the the trio, I should say, of Giannis? I said Drew Bledsoe. Um, yeah, I've been waiting to pull you up on that. Yeah, well, I've been watching too much Scary Terry, dude. I know. I just, again, yeah. Uh, what do you think of the trio of Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton? Drew Holiday or Drew Bledsoe? Drew Holiday. <laughs> Are you sure now? Yeah. I am. Okay. Point. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I feel like Holiday's a big upgrade over Bledsoe, Eric Bledsoe, not Drew Bledsoe. I feel like Holiday's a big upgrade, especially on defense. He's far more of a penetrator than what people give him credit for. He can light it up from free, he can facilitate more he's going to free up a lot of room for Giannis drives compared to what Bledsoe did. I feel like Bledsoe relied on penetration a lot more than what Drew has to rather than chooses to. Uh, Middleton's Middleton. I feel like Bledsoe is going to be able to set him up with some nice driving dish actions. I'm still curious whether that trio is enough to win an NBA championship, but it's definitely enough to take them to an Eastern Conference Finals. I, I think they've got stronger with this trade. I think they definitely did, you know, and to give up uh, George Hill, Eric Bledsoe, and then, man, three firsts and two swaps. Um, going all the way to the point of 2027, obviously, is a lot. Real potential of being another Brooklyn-Boston sort of swap, but the team got a whole lot better, and I think they would have really appreciated getting Bogdanovich on board, but when you look past that, I think – outside of that, they also had a pretty good offseason. I mean, they ended up also losing Robin Lopez – Ursan Ilyasova, Sterling Brown, and the really surprising one was Wesley Matthews turning down a player option to go and get, I don't remember if it was the same, but about the same, potentially even a little less money to go play for the Lakers, which I think must have really stung. But on top of Drew Holiday, they managed to pick up Torrey Craig, who uh, Denver just couldn't even fit into their roster, which is a great problem to have. But Milwaukee took advantage. I think that's a solid you know, potential three and D guy with the three, a little questionable at times, but then also getting Bryn Forbes and Bobby Portis, like it's just more shooters that you're adding around this core. And yeah, the bench isn't great or anything, but I mean, obviously the highlight is this Drew Holiday acquisition. And I think that it's a, it's a great get for Milwaukee. I would say they're an improved team, especially when it, when it comes to the playoffs, right? Because Bledsoe was fine in the regular season. And then he had some playoff um, deficiencies. And I, I don't think Drew is as likely to have those. 
Yeah, I mean, the other thing I want to point out is the Bryn Forbes pickup to me was excellent. Um, he's one of my... He was a guy I had as a sleeper in this free agency just because of the way he can stretch the floor. And he, I think, what, is he 40% on his career now from deep? Or he's 40% for last season. He's a lights-out three-point shooter. And when you've got someone like Giannis that really needs to be driving the floor and you need that spacing, having guys like Forbes and Craig coming off the bench is going to be helpful. And DJ Augustine, I forgot to mention. Oh, that was a pickup too, dude. Bobby Portis, uh, I'm a fan of his at times. And then other times I'm just like, yo, this dude needs to be at the end of the bench. He has really good games. He has, he's just inconsistent and that's fine. Uh, I feel like, yeah, the Drew Holiday pick pickup was the best pickup they made. Wesley Matthews is a loss. He's not a big, as big of a loss as what Malcolm Brogdon was to them last year. But that's still some wing defense that's going to hurt them. He's a capable scorer, but they've more than made up for the the point deficit that they'd be losing with Matthews by Forbes and Craig. And Portis can score from deep too. Uh, yeah, I mean, p- playoff wise, they've got stronger. Regular season, they might struggle a little bit more than they did last year. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that overall they they did a good job and they'd feel a lot better coming out of this with Bogdanovich, I think, because right now, um, you know, the low post, Zach Lowe really dived into this on the latest episode. But, you know, there's three guys that are, that are locks for this team right now. And then there's two spots that are really up in the air. And personally, I like um, what Dante DiVincenzo brings you. He's going to need to take another step forward on his shooting. But I think he can be one of those other two guys. And then you just need one more. You know, I, I think that... It could be Brooke Lopez yet again. Uh, I don't think that's crazy. Um, so Milwaukee's still in a great spot. I think that totally reasonable to still pick them the top of the East. Um, what team do you want to move to next? I mean, I think we should look at, let's look at Toronto. Toronto are a team that I feel like have got considerably weaker just because of the loss of Serge Ibaka and Ronda Hollis-Jefferson, actually. Yeah, and Marcus All, right? So they, yeah, I mean, they ended up losing a lot of big men. Yeah, so like for me, Ibaka was a big loss. Um, he's a dominant big still. He's a ridiculously good rim protector. He can score from deep. He can block shots. He makes really smart defensive rotations. He can cover from the weak side. I think Ibaka's still one of the better secondary. If we're, if we're placing guys into tiers, like first tier, second tier, third tier, I still have a bucker in my second tier of like big men. Um, then you look at Marcus Gasol. I don't think that's as much of a loss. His aging, they, the way that Toronto played, they could have done with Gasol's a complimentary player at this point in his career. And Toronto needed him to be a factor. And unfortunately, Gasol just doesn't have enough left in the tank to dominate games the way he used to, to lock guys up on D the way he used to. And Hollis Jefferson, to me, is a glue guy with high mo- with a high motor. And they're going to miss that because the way Toronto play, they, feel like they play fast and furious. And the pickups they've made in Baines and Len. Baines, to me, is an upgrade on Gasol at this point in Gasol's career. And Alex Len, I think that's like a that's a big downgrade from Serge Ibaka as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I, I like getting Aaron Baines back for them, for sure. You know, I think that he can fit that Gasol role, and I think actually he could be better than Gasol um, bearing health. And, yeah, I mean, Ibaka is definitely the big loss here. They also re-signed Fred Van Fleet, which was obviously a big goal and focus for them this offseason, and then Chris Boucher as well. 
So, yeah, I mean, you know, Toronto is betting on a little bit of internal improvement, right? From from Van Fleet, from Siakam, from uh, OG Ananobi. So, and, and I don't think it's crazy that they get that, but I don't think they did anything to either drastically improve or worsen the, their team. I wouldn't be surprised to see them go slightly in either direction, but I think they're probably about the same for me. Yeah, so I had I had Baines down as an upgrade over Gasol at this juncture. I think Gasol can Baines can do everything they wanted Gasol to do, and he's still got enough left in the tank to be able to do that at a higher level than Gasol can now. Um, Van Vliet got four for eighty-five. I think that's a very reasonable deal for him. Makes sense to me. The only question I've got is, are they going to be as dominant on the glass now? You know, we know what Kyle Lowry brings to the team. We know what Van Vliet brings to the team. But we don't know how Chris Boucher is going to play in a what I'm assuming is a little bit more of a jacked up role. I mean, I like Boucher. I think he's actually quite a good, quite a good stretch big. Um, it's just going to be. I just don't see Toronto being a force during the regular season, and I feel like they only got as far as they did in the playoffs this year due to the bubble environment. Great team, great coach, but. There's a lot more strength in the East, East this year than there was last. And I think Toronto are going to be one of the bigger name teams to suffer. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Philadelphia getting better and Brooklyn coming back, it wouldn't surprise me if Toronto ends up being the team that kind of slides a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, mentioning Brooklyn there, you know, the the losses being Tyler Johnson, Garrett Temple, and I, I've never known how to say his, his first name, but Musa. Um, and those are all the primary ones that, that took place there. You know, there were some couple more things on the margins that they did as well. Like uh, Justin Anderson, Wilson Chandler, um, yeah, smaller names, Lance Thomas. And they ended up bringing in Bruce Brown jr. Which was a great trade. I thought for Musa, uh, with Detroit, there, great swap for them. They signed Jeff green and then Landry Shamit was, pretty much their first round pick. They ended up trading their first rounder for Kennard and then Kennard for Shamit in this sort of three-team trade um, and re-signed Joe Harris to a pretty lucrative deal as well. But yeah, I mean, I think that they locked in three guys that fit pretty well alongside Kyrie and KD in Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, Landry Shamit, and then bringing back Joe Harris too. Like, I mean, Brooklyn's main off-season acquisitions were always going to be Kyrie and KD. And I think they got a couple more guys that complement that pretty well. Yeah. So one question I want to start with for you is, who do you have higher, Shamit or Kennard? Hmm. I, man, probably Kennard, but that's just because I think there's value in being an on-ball creator. So I had Kennard higher too, but and I understand that they'd needed to kind of add Kennard into the deal to make this transaction work, but it raised my eyebrow before I looked into it enough when I saw that Landry Shamit was going to Brooklyn and Kennard was going the other way. I felt like Brooklyn would have been better having Kennard, but Brooklyn also have enough on-ball creators that they don't actually need that. They just need scoring. And uh, Landry yeah. Shamit's going to give them that in bunches. Bruce Brown's going to come in and play some D and they need some defense because you know you've got Kyrie. You don't know how he's going to be. He's not exactly known for his D. You've got Kevin Durant, who you don't know what type of Durant you're going to get for the, mo the most part of the regular season. And Jeff Green is just a vet that knows his stuff. Now, I'm a big fan of Joe Harris. And if you're locking him down to four at 75, to me, is good business. Uh, it, it's going to be his 
last decent payday. I understand. I mean, it, yeah, you're saying, but when you do the math, which I did do and now I've lost it, so I'm going to do it again very quickly. When you do the math, it's what? It's 18.75 a year. That is a very flippable contract for a guy that's a lights out scorer. You know, I mean, um, you, know. You, you can get two, two years of really high level production out of him and then depending on what Kyrie and KD decide to do, you can move that contract for a future asset. That I feel like that's quite a tradable contract. People always place value in scoring wings, and Joe Harris is going to be able to put up numbers uh, off the bench, whether he's playing as a complementary role as in the starting unit. That is a very tradable contract, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds like a lot to me until I hear... Gallinari gets $61 million over two years, you know, I, I mean, over three years, sorry. So 20 million a year, roughly right there. Davis Bertans gets five years, 80 million, which I believe comes out to, um, you know, I shouldn't just give an estimate when I can do this real quick right here it comes out to 16 million, which is comparable. You know, it sounds like a lot for all of them, but this is just the rate of elite shooters right now. Yeah, and this is why I see it as a flippable contract down the line. Because the thing with the thing that keeps the value, I mean, three point shooters are like classic cars. Their value gets doesn't change much because your athleticism can disappear. But as Kyle Corver showed you, even though your athleticism's kind of fading away, your scoring touch remains. Being a spot up shooter in the corners and on the wing is a very valuable commodity in the modern NBA. And being able to space the floor and draw defenders out to to respect that shot is what's going to make it very easy for Kyrie to get to work in those lanes and Durant to kind of cause havoc in the seams. So to me, I feel like this pickup was decent. I don't think they got... I feel like they got marginally better with these pickups. I like Garrett Temple. Not a big fan of Johnson. Musa, you know, he's okay. Uh, but they've added shooting, they've added defense, and they've added another vet in Jeff Green. This make I feel like this roster got marginally better than what they ended the season, and that's ignoring the return of Kyrie and KD. Right, and that's always that's that's going to be the headline for sure that you know could take this team to the top of the East. Um, and then you know a team that also added a shooter that I think is a much reasonable price, much more reasonable price, uh, signed a four-year, thirty-two million dollar deal in the offseason of 2019 um seth curry you know was, was traded to philadelphia for josh richardson and then philadelphia also managed to get off of al horford and they brought back i believe uh danny green right um no i'm sorry why am i why am i fed up here did danny green ended up going to okc right Oh, and then he was traded for Horford. Wow, I don't have this in front of me. Yeah, so there were some moves that happened with um, Philadelphia, and I hate to say this on a Celtics podcast, but I feel like they've had a ridiculously good offseason. They've made some moves. They've added balance to their roster that was previously imbalanced. They've made some good moves. Moving off from Horford contract was good business. He wasn't a fit there. He didn't fit alongside Embiid. He didn't fit alongside Simmons. How nobody envisioned this before make, uh, inking that offer sheet is beyond me. But there have been yeah. some good moves. I mean, look, they lost Trey. It was for Danny Green. Uh, I'm not crazy. They uh, round ne- They lost Raul Nito. They lo- Alec Burks left as well. They've uh, mm-hmm. Ben Robinson's still available. They haven't 
decided to extend him an offer sheet as of yet, as far as I'm aware. So there's been a few people leaving, but when you look at who they've brought back, so Dwight Howard as a backup centre, that makes sense to me. He's going to give you some boards. He's going to give you some rim protection, a lob threat. And plus, you know, I'm happy Dwight won a ring, if I'm being quite honest, even if it was with the Lakers. If we're looking elsewhere at what they've done, a lot of it's been moves to acquire assets. I don't see many pickups for them as a team, but I feel like they're so much more, how can I word this? They're so much more balanced than what they yeah. last year. Their draft picks were smart. They've showed patience in the market. You can see that this is a new front office and they're trying to revamp this. Not, they're trying to retool the team to give Doc Rivers exactly what he needs. And to be honest with you, I'm probably, if they, if Doc Rivers can figure it out, I'm probably more scared of Philly than I am of Milwaukee next year. I mean, I think they were always, they were the scarier team at, at last, the point of going into last season, you know, um, and it just kind of didn't work out. And obviously Philadelphia's focus this offseason was shooting, you know, going out and getting Curry and Danny Green. And then obviously one of the main things you did was get rid of that Horford contract. But then, I mean, the guys that they drafted too, I think Tyrese Maxey is an amazing get for them in the 20s. Um, and then to sign Isaiah Joe is a shooter, you know, I think that they clearly prioritized shooting and getting rid of some of these bad contracts, and they did both. I don't think that they get amazingly better this next season because, I mean, it would just take them figuring out things internally, right? Because the roster was there, the the talent was there last year, but they never clicked. So maybe this change, this change does it. Um, I feel like it's a comparable roster, probably a little bit worse talent, but they needed to change something up and there's a chance that this kind of fixes the problems that were going on in Philadelphia. Yeah. So they're less talented, but then, but again, everybody fits better. There's, there's yeah. more shooting. There's more spacing. There's still going to be a question of, do you play Ben at the point? Do you play him at the four? Do you try and get him to shoot freeze? How are you going to get Ben on your MB to play? while if Simmons doesn't shoot freeze. So Doc's got a lot to figure out there, but at the moment, if they can figure that out, then yeah, I understand Milwaukee's got Giannis. But Giannis is pretty much got two complementary guys, and that's about it. Where Philadelphia have two bona fide stars and some complementary pieces in guys like Tobias Harris. So yeah, I do fear Philadelphia if they can figure it out. The question is, can they? And that's a whole different podcast for a completely different podcast crew to figure out. Yeah, I think their defense is a little more versatile, I'd say. You know, last year their primary or, you know, best lineup, I guess you would say, was Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Joel Embiid. And the spacing's not great. You know, I don't feel good. I feel like Harris and Horford are both being asked to guard down a position from what they naturally should be. I don't think it's a great lineup, even defensively, as it should have been, you know. And then now when you switch over to... Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Danny Green, two really great shooters. You know, Curry specifically great shooter. Danny Green's a little shaky, but I think that he'll be respected and he's a quality defender. And then you have Tobias Harris adding additional creation off the bounce and shooting and then and then Embiid there as well. So now you really just have Simmons and Embiid as your only two non-shooters, you know, and I think that everybody else being complimentary to those guys is a lot better for them this season. 
Um, but yeah, I think that's enough on Philadelphia if you're good. That's too much on Philadelphia, right. to be honest. I want to hit Miami and I want to hit Atlanta and then we'll kind of recap what's going on with Boston and then we'll let everybody get on with their day. So the reason I want to hit Atlanta is because I feel like they've made moves to actually address weaknesses and I feel like they've been quite impressive in the moves that they've made. But before we get there, let's talk about the team that hurt Boston's souls, the team that really upsets me when I hear of them for the last few months has been Miami. Uh, they lost Jay Crider. To me, that's probably the biggest loss they've had this offseason. Lost Derek Jones Jr., lost Solomon Hill. They've brought in Avery Bradley, which I think was a great pickup for them, and Maurice Harkless. That's, they've obviously bought in to try and fill that role from Jay Crowder. Now, for me, Jay Crowder is a better... Jay Crowder is a true four defender. He can defend power forwards. He's a true true defensive presence against fours. I feel, And Zach Lowe kind of alluded to this on his podcast on Monday. Harkless can defend fours, but is he really a true power forward defensive guy? Or or is it, oh, if the power forward's there and he's, no one's picking him up, I can guard him, but it's not really going to be as successful if, if you throw Jay Crowder run against him. I feel like they've lost a little bit of grit in that, in that loss. Yeah, I like Crowder better there for sure. Um, but I think Harkless is a, is a good get in return. And I think that they lacked a little bit of guard defense outside of Jimmy and Avery Bradley. I mean, Avery Bradley just screams like Miami heat to me and Celtics, you know, they're, they're very similar, but I think that Bradley is going to be a really good fit there. Um, they brought back Drogic on a, <clears throat> excuse me, 34 million two uh, two year deal, which I think is pretty good value for Goran Drogic. You know, he was a all-star not too long ago, which is definitely easy to forget. Um, the more confusing one to me was this Myers Leonard deal that signed a one-year $9 million contract. Um, and uh, sorry, two years at about $9 million. And the second one is a team option. To me, this is probably a deal that they're able to float around in trade talks. You know, like right now, the Celtics, the only real tradable contract they had was Marcus. But for obvious reasons, they weren't including, including Marcus in trade talks. I think this Myers Leonard $9 million is some matchable salary because I don't think he's worth that. Yeah. He spends more time on Twitch than he does on the, it's true. He's living, he lives on Twitch, Twitch and TikTok with his wife. That's apparently the only, because you see posting things on Facebook, not Facebook, Mm -hmm. on Twitter everywhere. Um, In terms of a player, he isn't half bad. I don't think he's as terrible as what a lot of people make out. He's not a star by any means. And he's a low level complimentary piece, but he's still a complimentary piece he makes more sense for a contender than he does a rebuilding team or a bottom feeder. But yeah, nine, nine mils, a flippable contract, no, no matter which way you cut it, especially if a team can pick him up and then shed that salary at the end of next season. There's value in that for me personally. Uh, if I'm when, you know, if I can get a contract and then shed it at the end of the year, that's available cap space moving into a, a very deep free agency. So they may keep him. And just use them as a $9 million placeholder until next year. That's also a possibility. They're, you know, they're trying to keep flexibility for a certain Greek freak that's hitting the free agency market that has so far not committed to a long-term deal with his current team. They also just gave uh, Bam that max. They did. And again, Bam shares the same agent as a certain Greek freak. So read into that what you will. <laughs> you know, um, I feel like they're all in on this uh, Giannis pursuit 
and they will be until Giannis either inks a new contract or makes a decision in free agency next year. So a lot of their moves make sense in terms of, hey, we just need to get through this season, stay competitive, try and stay healthy. Dragic to me is a great pick, a great re-pickup, I should say. Part of me feels like this is a thank you for your service deal as well, following that injury and then coming back and trying to play through it. They've overpaid him slightly. Uh, and I think that's completely fine, completely understandable, and you have to respect them for what they've done there. Yeah, I think it's a totally fine deal for him. Uh, and then you wanted to touch on Atlanta that probably had the busiest offseason, just going crazy, bringing in Gallinari, Rondo, Chris Dunn, Tony Snell, Onyeka Kongwu in uh, the draft. There's this offer sheet sitting for Bogdanovich. They got a lot going on. They're trying to win right now. Yeah, so for me, coming at the end of the season, I know me and you have discussed this like between us, you know, over text, over phone calls, you know, Brendan and I, we kick it, man. We don't just do this part. We actually kick it. Um, so not physically because there's a 7,000 mile gap, <laughs> but you know, we kick it regularly. And one of the things that we've both discussed is Atlanta is amazing on offense and so, so, so bad on D. Then you go and pick up Chris Dunn, who to me is a fantastic on ball defender. He's a poor man's marker smart. A very poor man's marker smart, but a poor man's marker smart nonetheless. They go and pick up floor stretching big Gallinari. Uh, slight overpay. Yeah, I'd say so. I feel, in fact, I think that's quite a bit of an overpay, don't you? Yeah. I mean, they needed a four specifically. Like, I think this is what they really needed, you know, this, this floor stretching four. Is he um, worth it though? Is he worth 20.5 million a year? I think that when he's healthy, he is. Okay. I feel like what he's going to give you and the fact that he can definitely push you up in the standings is valuable in itself. And if you can make a couple of deep playoff runs, maybe not this year, but the year after and the year after that, then great. Picking up Rondo as your backup point, backup point guard shows that you've got playoff, playoff intentions. Again, it kind of fits a need in terms of perimeter defense as well. I'm curious to see how they're going to stagger Rondo and Dunn because neither really bring a scoring presence, Both, but both are locked down on the perimeter when they're keyed in. Uh, so is Rondo going to play more of a vet leadership role with reduced minutes or is he expecting to get regular runs out with that second unit? And which one can either one of those guys, excuse me, really play alongside Trey Young? Well, this is what I'm saying, right? Like, um, if you take the ball out of Trey Young's hand and ask him to just be a shooter, is he as effective? So um, it makes yeah, me... Yeah, I think they're trying to do that a little more than they have. But, I mean, yeah, there's definitely questions with this roster. I mean, and then you also look like they just drafted Onyeka Kongwu. And then they also have Clint Capella coming onto this roster that hasn't played with them yet. You know, and then when you talk about these wings, if one of Rondo or Dunn is playing alongside Trey Young, that's taking away minutes from a Kevin Herter. I mean, like this these they have a lot of young players that still need to be getting run to get developed you know cam reddish deandre hunter kevin herter john collins like there's a lot of really young guys that i hope don't get buried you know so there seems to be a trend in the league at the moment where teams will stack assets and then try to walk two timelines boston have been doing it for the last few years and it feels like, and I was all in on the way Atlanta were building their team. They were building through the draft. They had a clear path of what type of team they wanted to be, what type of players they wanted to develop. And they went out and acquired those guys. Now, all of a sudden, they've changed pace. They've kind of ramped things up and bought in these vets. And it's it's created an imbalance in the roster. Now, Cam Reddish, you've got Cam Reddish. You've got DeAndre Hunter. You've got Kevin Herter. 
you've got Trey Young. These are, as you say, these are all young guys, but now you fill them around vets and this could be a recipe for a really, really fun team to watch. It could also be a recipe for disaster. And I'm not sure this was the right year to be committing so much money when there's such a deep free agency next year and such a deep draft as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's it's totally reasonable that they're the eighth seed and, you know, Trey is your cornerstone and you're kind of building from there. And at this point, you know, the idea is you have your young guys. Um, I don't know. I see it. I see it. They're, they're going to have a lot to work through. Um, I, I worry that there's maybe one too many sort of guys here, sort of uh, kind of situation. But I mean, overall, like it, it's a good offseason for Atlanta, I still think. I don't think that this is, you know, a bad situation for them or anything. It's just a very different change of direction. Oh, they're a much more talented team. And I don't think it's a change of direction as much as adding an avenue to go down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But they can develop these young guys while not sucking now. And But that comes with a price. That comes with slower development. It comes with lowering these guys' ceilings slightly because yeah. they're not going to get the floor time. So I guess the other side of that though would be sorry to interrupt you that like you need playoff experience to develop properly, right? Yeah, you do for sure, but you need to actually play in the playoffs to get that right. development. You right. know what I mean? It's all well and good sitting on the bench and feeling the atmosphere, but you're not going to develop unless you're actually on the floor feeling the pressure. Right. Um, so you know, there's yeah, there's value in going to the playoffs, but there's far more value in actually being on the floor during the playoffs. Yeah. That probably, yeah, but I feel like Atlanta have probably won the offseason in the East in terms of how much talent they've acquired. Yeah, you know, I, I think Philadelphia is a little sneaky here. Like Philadelphia and Milwaukee, I think, sneakily made their rosters better as well. I cannot disagree. I cannot disagree. I just feel like the jumping talent level for Atlanta makes them yeah. winners. Yeah, they probably take the biggest leap when it comes to just straight up difference in wins compared to last season. You know? Yeah, I feel and I'm, I'm curious to see the style, how they change up their style, what they ask Trey Young to do more of, what they ask him to do less of. And, you know, did they take the ball yeah. out of his hands? How, what percent, what, how much is his dropping usage? I'm very curious to see that at the end of next season. Yeah, I think, you know, randomly Orlando is going to be interesting to me. I really think Cole Anthony could be really good value for them in the draft where they were able to select him. And then, yeah, I mean, this is probably make or break here for Mo Bamba, I would think. So they're going to be a little interesting. And obviously Washington and Chicago are going to be fighting for that eighth spot, eighth spot with, uh, with uh, Charlotte as well now also. So there's, there's a couple teams. Like I feel like this top seven is still pretty locked in the East. And then this eighth spot, there's going to be, four or five teams really jarring for it. Yeah, the East is getting deeper, dude. It um, is. It's, it's slowly getting deeper. And then you've got Boston, obviously. It's the Celtics podcast. We haven't said one word about them. I'm sure people will be upset at that. So just to recap, Taco Fall signed his two-way deal. He's coming back to Boston on a two-way contract. Can play up to 50 games due to the revamped two-way rules. Celtics lost Gordon Hayward. That sucked. Picked up Tristan Thompson. That's good. Picked up Jeff Teague, big upgrade over Brad Wanamaker. That's good. Drafted um, Peyton Pritchard. I'm high on him. Brendan's not. I'm not that high on him, but I'm very optimistic, and I hope he can be good. Signed Aaron Neesmith. 
I'm high on him. Brendan's not. I'm not that high on him. Very optimistic. Hope he can be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, added. So basically, the Celtics lose a guy that's been injured considerably. But then someone told me today he's actually played in eighty percent of their last of their available games over the last two regular seasons. So who is Hayward? Mm-hmm. So wow. maybe, yeah, dude. So maybe that narrative of him always being injured is what a little bit God. overblown. That's crazy. Unless the guy gave me the wrong numbers, but I, you know, I mean, 70, 80% if Hayward's played in that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess the question would be, I know we're kind of closing up here. would be like, how many of those was he actually even like 80% help for though? Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I feel like, look, this might be um, an addition by subtraction. There's left ma- less mouths to feed on ball dominance in terms of now you only have to give three guys a large amount of touches. Marcus Smart, Smart, Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart should be playing off ball a lot more than what he did last year. I hope. I hope they limit his freeze a little bit more now. There's some legitimate three point scorers coming <laughs> off the bench. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, but um, you have some dedicated off ball guys now. Yeah, and I feel like. In terms of balance, and I'm big on balance at the moment. I've I've mentioned it about 18 times in this podcast. Hello. In terms of balance, Boston leveled like leveled the scales. Now there's a lot more balance to this roster moving forwards. I've said it 19 times now, and they're I feel like they're going to benefit from that greatly. I'm very curious to see how Prey and Pritchard does. I was watching some film on him today, and the more I watch, the more I'm like, he's got a lot of translatable NBA skills on offense. And a lot of non-translatable, yeah. and a lot of translatable, <laughs> yeah, and a lot of translatable deficiencies on defense. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely the player that you're looking at. But you know, it's not like Boston doesn't have experience with those type of players and maximizing them. Yeah, and I'm excited, dude, because if he can bring some of that playmaking and limitless range, I'm giving him at the moment he's got gold limitless <laughs> range badge. I'm I'm hoping he can get to Hall of Fame. I want that purple badge. You know, what I'm I saying? think he can get it. Yeah, I need it. Dude. Give, give me. And you know, there was another guy that came into the league that everybody said wouldn't make it due to his defensive deficiencies. Talking about the little guy. Talking about Seth Curry. Ah, oh, right. You see, I'm I'm reaching here hard, <laughs> hard. I'm a reaching. Bit. I'm reaching just bit. like Ainge did at picking him 26. You see what it's I'm true. doing? Showing the same level of optimism. <laughs> uh, jokes aside, I think he's going to be quite a. Uh, a serviceable guard in his first year he's a four-year guy coming out of college they usually come out of college quite well polished what you see is what you get so i don't expect his ceiling to be much higher than what it is now but you know there's always guys that are exceptions to the rule yeah yeah we'll uh we'll see how it goes i'm just hoping for some balance on this roster that's 20 times <laughs> So, <laughs> guys, we haven't spoken much about the Celtics today, but we thought it would be good to give you guys a full breakdown of what's been going on around the East. You know, these are the teams we're going to see the most of. They're the teams we're going to be fighting against once the playoffs come, fighting against to get seeding. It's important to know who's got stronger and who's got weaker. And hopefully you take some value away from this ready for Friday's episode where we'll be dedicated to the Celtics yet again. Brendan might be less dedicated because you know he covers the Kings, but we'll let man. we'll let that go. I'm waiting for this bogey offer, man. What from Boston? No, 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 no. From Sacramento, they got to match this. Yeah, it's Sacramento. They're not matching them. Oh god, they have a new front office. How dare you? Does that change anything? It better. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. Um, guys you've been listening to the Celtics pod if you've enjoyed this leave that five star written review if you didn't enjoy it 
Don't leave a review because if you ain't got nothing nice to say. Don't say anything at all. I didn't know if you was going to pick up on me throwing I got you, I got you. Uh, exceptional podcasting, dude. We'll be back again on Friday. Peace.